There is no technology in human history that has not had a negative repercussion. And I feel like you kind of need someone to step in from the government and they, it's moving too fast for them. When I spoke to some folks in Congress, you know, the thing that I heard back was that they've never seen anything move as quickly as the response to AI. But that's like saying I've never seen a snail run as fast as that before. What will have to happen is you need this public outcry. That is the only thing that will save us, is, is, the, is the public demanding something happen. Because we don't have this, you know, this right to just move forward with every technology that is possible to create. Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara Ongwele. And I'm Clara Getty. I'm a third year majoring in government and media studies at the University of Virginia. And I'm also in an independent study class right now about campaigns and elections and AI. And joining us for this episode is Nick Bilton, a special correspondent at Vanity Fair. He's going to be talking with us about his new article, Artificial Intelligence May Be Humanity's Most Ingenious Invention. Uh, and it's last, question mark. It's at VanityFair.com. Listeners will be able to find a link to it in the episode notes. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we got to do this before the AI robots kill us all and destroy humanity. So, uh, Yes, it was quite a sobering read. <laughs> yes. um, even for those of us that are actually studying it this semester. <laughs> And, and we want to get into that a little bit with you. Um, there was actually a line in the article that really sort of struck me. I did a lot of research um, and wrote a dissertation on nuclear weapons testing and development and its consequences. Um, but in your article, an AI engineer you know, said to you that, quote unquote, we are creating God. Um, and for me, it sort of paralleled uh, what Robert Oppenheimer said at the Trinity test in New Mexico, um, quoting the Hindu uh, scripture, the Bodhisattva Gita, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Um, and, you know, there, there seems like there, there are many parallels in what's happening in the creation of AI that we saw with the development of nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction. Um, you know, there's sort of these great promises, but also the potential to destroy humanity um, and, you know, change life as we know it. Um, and all of this is happening really without um, public say <laughs> um, and a complete lack of understanding, um, including by those who are developing it, developing the technology about the myriad unforeseen consequences um, I wonder if you could just start by talking about um, how AI engineers and those leading the development view their work based on your in-depth conversations with them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's interesting. I was writing this article when the the uh, the Oppenheimer movie came out, and uh, I could spend uh, the next thirty minutes ripping apart the movie because I feel feel like it didn't it didn't take the opportunity to talk about all of the things that could go wrong. That was just like a little subplot in the movie, which kind of seems like it's really the most important part, but that's a whole separate story. But I was working on it at the same time and it was, it was definitely, I had the same existential feeling of like, why is it that humanity has this need and this desire to build things that could potentially destroy us? Uh, and one of the, it's funny when you said that there was one line that uh, you, after you studied, um, nuclear uh, weapons and so on, uh, 
there was one line that stood out. I thought the line that you were going to say was that even in like the, of all the state department reports and the, the cold era reports I ever read, and I've read a ton of them, you know, the predictions are that we may be like best case scenario, lose half of humanity. And, uh, and, and, you know, the other half, you know, they survive and maybe some have three legs and, you know, we like only can eat potatoes uh, that are, you know, uh, filled with radiation, but we, but we, 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 we make it through, but with AI, it, it's the first technology in human history that could kill everyone. Uh, and to me, that was, that was a pretty sobering realization to kind of see that. And I think that, you know, it, it just all leaves me with this question of why is it that we have these little areas, you know, uh, in, you know, Oppenheimer's day was Los Alamos in our day. It's, it's Silicon Valley. And it's, it's a handful of people who, uh, who are the ones that are charging forward and we don't necessarily have any say in what happens. And in some respects, the government doesn't either. Um, and I think that to me is one of the most shocking parts of this, of what's going on right now. Yeah. Um, so kind of going off of that, you mentioned a quote from Senator Chris Murphy, um, and he talks about the spiritual questions of AI um, and says policymakers shouldn't shy away from that. Um, and to me, this also draws parallels to the space program in the 60s and NASA and the fact that we were reaching up to the heavens and there was kind of some gravity to that. Um, but does the AI industry, and I think I might already know the answer, have a spiritual conscience? You know, do the tech bros in Silicon Valley think about this at all and consider some of these things maybe like NASA did? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, one of the questions I, I always ask in these interviews with people in AI, because for me, it's become such an existential question is, do you believe in God or it's, or a higher power or some reason that we hear? And yes, we, we don't know the answer and we never, we at least we won't for a long, long, long time, but why we are here and if there is some higher power, but the answer is inevitably no. And I think that what's also really fascinating is if you go and look at the research, you know, Alan Lightman from MIT has written some incredible books on um you know spirituality and science and one of his recent books i've read all of his books i think he's a fantastic writer and one of his recent books he talks about a study that was done where they asked like the top you know three four hundred scientists in 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 the united states um people who worked in cosmology and neuroscience everything and uh if they believe in god and surprisingly or a god in some respects uh, a uh, two thirds of them did, and I think that you know the the there's the oft uh, misquoted line about um, Einstein saying that you know this is all way too too complicated and too perfect for there not to be some higher power. But I think that that you know when you talk to these people that are working in AI, they just don't seem to care, which I think is the is the craziest part. They they have this belief that we are just an accident floating in space uh, and that the natural evolution of this accident is to create a new species, which is artificial general intelligence. And that if that artificial general intelligence wipes us off the face of the planet, then that was just the next step in evolution. Uh, and to me, you know, I, I opened the article with this, this fun list of all the crazy things that Amer that humans have made in, in the last few few thousand years and it's like when you look at that stuff and what we're capable of it's pretty sad to kind of to think about the world as just a you know a next step in evolution one of the things that struck me is you came back to the point multiple times about the ways in which 
um, you know, the, the AI has the ability to just take away creativity from human beings and what's left if we if we don't have that agency anymore. Yeah, I think we've we you know we've heard for years and years we've all kind of plotted through society and uh, with the the belief that the thing that makes us humans different to every other species is our ability to create art and music and paintings and so on and so forth, which is technically not true in any respect. I think there are animals that make music. There are animals that make art. There are animals that specialize in architecture. Uh, um, you know, the, but we, we have this belief that that is what makes us human. Uh, and I think that in reality, what has been so shocking with the new LLMs from places like OpenAI and Anthropic and places and their ability to be incredibly creative uh, is kind of terrifying because it makes you realize that we don't have something special to us. Um, you know, we, we're not, there's nothing unique. I mean, it, it, to me, I remember the, you know, the first thing that came out before the LLMs, the language models were the like Dolly and mid journey. And they were the, the programs that could create art. And I remember being like, why are people not running around with their, like just in, with their arms in the air? Cause it's, it was the speed with which you can do it. The accuracy, the beauty with which you can do it, um, has been quite shocking. And I think that the, Thing that Chris Murphy, the senator from from Connecticut, brings up is in the piece is that once we take that away from humans, that ability to create, then what do we have? And that there becomes this kind of rot that that will permeate through society, and and the repercussions are going to be disastrous. So another thing you address in your article is that the are the ways in which um, sort of AI leaders and developers um, are being very disingenuous, particularly you call out Sam Altman, who kind of goes on a global tour and says one thing in public, um, but then says other things um, to sort of prevent uh, regulation um, uh, behind the scenes, especially in the in the European Union um, to, to prevent um, uh, OpenAI from being listed as a high-risk high risk platform. Um, but I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about sort of what's at stake with, um, you know, with these leaders sort of having these public pronouncements on the one hand, calling for regulation, but then on the other hand, um, you know, just, just sort of that this being sort of performative and and displayed. Well, I think people like Sam Altman don't really give a shit. You know, I think that they, if they did, that there there would be there would be more of a discussion about the things we are that they are making and that we as society are are being kind of having thrust upon us. And th there's not. You know, there's this race to be first to build AGI, artificial general intelligence, and you know. I've been covering tech for 20 something years and I've seen time and time and time again, some new technology comes along, some new product comes along, uh, everyone starts using it. The company becomes, you know, uh, they start kind of pushing the boundaries on privacy and 
you know, allowing X or Y to happen on the platform. The government steps in way too late every single time. The company says, oh, we're so sorry, we won't do it again. And we're going to, we're going to, we want to be regulated. And the reality, it's all complete nonsense. They don't care. They're just, it's, there's always a strategy to this. And I think that, you know, Sam specifically going up before Congress and saying that he wanted to be regulated and then going to Europe and pushing against the regulation is just another example. This is no different. I think that the difference between what people like Sam are doing uh, and, uh, is that they are, um, you know, they're doing it with the repercussions are going to be so much more disastrous than they were from like a Facebook or Twitter or something like that. And then you have these other people like Reed Hoffman, who, um, you know, is, uh, who's been out there talking, done countless interviews where he's saying like, you know, everything is going to be positive. Mark Andreessen, the investor saying the same thing. It's all going to be positive. Bullshit. They know they are literally lying. I mean, literally, they know this is not true because there is no technology in human history that has not had a negative repercussion. And they know that because they've made billions of dollars off them. So for them to go out and say this in public is just completely in my, it's just irresponsible. And I feel like you kind of need someone to step in from the government and they, it's, it's moving too fast for them. Yeah, that's exactly where what I wanted to ask you next is just are, are there any possibilities for slowing this down or putting safeguards in place? I mean, I, I have not been optimistic. And I know, you know, Chuck Schumer has a framework that's circulating and, and there's a, there's a lot of legis like legislation that's been introduced and we're seeing more and more states introduce legislation. But, you know, one, does it will it even really have an impact? Um, and, and two, you know, have you in your conversations come across um, other new ideas that just aren't in the in the public sphere yet that that might do a better job of, of putting some safeguards around this this fast pace? You know, I think that there's um, I, when I spoke to some folks in Congress, you know, the thing that I heard back was that they've never seen anything move as quickly as the response to AI. But that's like saying I've never seen a snail run as fast as that before. You know, it's it's um, I just I don't have a lot of faith. And I think that what what will have to happen is you need this public outcry. You know, when the LLMs first came out and there was this like, holy shit moment from a lot of people, you know, we all saw it and we were like, whoa, that could take my job. That could take my wife's job, my husband's, whatever. We, there was this public outcry and I kind of feel like it's settling down right now. And there's not as much, there's not this repetition of stories that are like, we have to be careful with this and there needs to be. And I think that that is the only thing that will save us is, is the, is the public demanding something happen because we don't have this, you know, this right to just move forward with every technology that is possible to create. We can edit people, we could edit genes right now to create like a super race of people that are seven foot five, that have no empathy, that like, you know, have muscles in places that most people don't have places. And, and, and we can do that, but we don't because that would be not right and it would be dangerous and it could lead to catastrophic um, results in society and humanity and and so on. And so I think that the thing that we need to be doing, I'm not saying, and I think most people are not saying, let's not build AI. What people are saying is that let's slow down a beat and let's 
be more open about what we're doing and what the, the disastrous possibilities are because the disastrous possibilities here um, are, you know, lights out for everyone. Yeah, you also kind of distinguish between the AI dreamers and the AI doomers. Um, can you yeah. kind of describe them and maybe what separates them? Yeah, what's what's I think the most fascinating to me is after covering all these tech companies for so long is I remember years ago you would everyone believed Facebook was was the bad guy. You know, they felt like their privacy was being taken advantage of. They felt like um, it wasn't making them feel good about themselves. You know, all these things, except the people who worked there. Uh, you know, they were like, it's the greatest thing. We're connecting the world and then continue to drink the, the, the Facebook Kool-Aid. What is different about AI is people, there are people that work in these companies that are terrified by it and people who don't that are terrified. There are people who work in these companies that think it's the greatest thing ever and people who don't that think it's the greatest thing ever. And, and then you have these people, they, they read the same papers, they write the same papers, they're on the same panels, on the same conferences, they do the same interviews. And some of them are dreamers who believe that this is, uh, you know, a utopia that we're going to solve all the world's problems. And others of them are doomers and believe that the world's problems are solvable, but, you know, AI will actually be the thing that destroys us. And uh, and it's really fascinating to see that that different viewpoint. And it's not like one of them is optimistic and the other is pessimistic. It's just in which where they place the optimism and the pessimism. You know, the dreamers believe that the world sucks right now and the AI will solve it. And the doomers believe that the world is fine and the AI will destroy it. Um, so this seems sort of like a small consideration given the existential threat that you describe <laughs> in your article. Um, but one of the things we are particularly concerned about is the use of generative AI technologies in campaigns and elections, and especially its potential to spill over into real-world political violence um, or to suppress voters, manipulate voters. Um, I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about um, uh, anything that you have learned based on your discussions and reporting about where we might think about focusing our attention, especially as we head into the 2024 presidential elections. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that we are... Um, uh, you know, we're about to start to see the fruits of the laborers of AI enter society in ways that we haven't expected. You know, you already have seen it a little bit, you know, DeSantis's campaign created some deep fake videos that weren't real. You know, the Trump campaign is they've they've done that or people surrounding the campaign have done that before. And I think you're going to start to see this misinformation happen at a scale that that um, we've never seen before because what you can do with an AI is have the AI create this um, uh, this this stuff at massive, massive scales, and and it really is like indistinguishable from reality. And I think you're going to have to. What will happen is is you're going to have uh, people creating fake videos, fake audio, fake you know all these things, and then there will be probably some new dissemination methods, whether it's on social media. Uh, or, you know, I mean, I think the news media, thankfully, has started to kind of learn the lesson to check things first before they they print them, whereas it used to be the other way around. Maybe not. But um, but I think that I, I think that this election cycle is going to be unlike anything we've seen before, because people will be passing around things that um, that are just not true. And I think that the thing that's scarier to me is at least before most of it happened on one platform, and that was Twitter. 
Elon Musk has come along and completely broken Twitter. And so people are now, there's a diaspora that's happened where people have moved to other platforms. So you have people on Twitter, you have people on Truth so- Social, Instagram, TikTok, stuff that that I can't even remember the names of, like new platforms that people are using, YouTube, so on and so forth. And I think that you're going to see these things. What happens now is something ends up on a platform, a bunch of people screenshot it and share it to other people on WhatsApp and text, and it just spreads as quickly as can be. And I think that the end result um, is going to be a lot of confusion uh, and a lot of disbelief and a lot of uh, a lot of lies, quite frankly. One of the things that struck me most about your article, too, is like talking about the physical ramifications of AI, which I feel like is one of the first um that I've read that really kind of goes deep into that. And so I feel like those predictions are definitely a little a little farther out, at least I hope. But do you see any physical ramifications from AI happening during this election cycle? I mean, look, Twitter led to, uh, you know, uh, thousands of people storming the Capitol. And, 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 you know, I mean, those those images are startling to watch. Those videos are startling to watch. And yet they were a result of one platform, Twitter, you know, um, arguably one platform. And, um, uh, and so if you, and the physical consequences were someone was killed, uh, hundreds of people ended up arrested and, or countless of them are going to jail for a long, long time. Um, you know, it, when you look at what happened at the Capitol had some people not gone left and some people gone right and down a different hallway, like it could have been even worse. Um, uh, it seemed to be kind of sure luck that led to to the the outcome that happened, um, and and I think that given the opportunity again, uh, um, you know, given the misinformation and all that, I think that you can absolutely imagine the physical ramifications. You know, we saw it with Pizzagate, we've seen it with Charleston, like all of these things that have happened that have been a result of disinformation on a social platform. It's not going to stop because of AI or because Twitter is not the greatest place on earth anymore. It's it's only going to get worse. Well, on that hopeful note, <laughs> I will say that, you know, just to go on the hope, like I do believe that there will be this is not all doom and gloom. I'm not a uh, I'm a 60 percent doomer and a 40 percent dreamer. And I do believe that there are going to be lots of things that will be solved as a result of of AI. I think that the the we'll cure cancer, you know, we will, um, uh, we'll protect our kids more. Well, there's so many things that will happen. Uh, you know, there'll be hopefully, I mean, there will be a bigger inequality gap between the super rich and, and, and the poor, but the poor will be richer, uh, because they will have access to things that cost nothing and, uh, and software and services and so on. And so there will be, um, and amazing things, but at the same time, the, the, the question is, is it how far, how much longer we get before someone presses the wrong button and it's lights out. I had to end on something negative. Come on. Well, Nick Bilton, special correspondent for Vanity Fair. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whaley. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at center number four politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.